Well, good morning, dear church. It is a blessing to uh, be with you. The DeWitt family just enjoyed some, uh, some vacation time in a warm climate, and it is a blessing to be back, and uh, I'm delighted to have my wife and my daughters right over here that are enjoying this service as well, and so um, it's special to be here. Also, it is a joy to have really our, our almost all of our church is joining here. We've got HP and Cedar Lake joining online. Good morning to you. We've got all of our online folks, and we can't wait to see you again. And then we have our venue people here at the Crown Point campus who are no doubt uh, sipping coffee and eating snacks as they enjoy our hospitality in the Student Center venue. Well, today my message is uh, about kissing. You heard that right. I'm gonna to talk today about, about kissing. Now I have the teenagers' attention and perhaps some dating singles uh, as well, and, and those that are uh, married and passionately in love, also perhaps interested in this. Likely everyone. I mean, how can we have a message at church on kissing, love all the things? Well, the reason we can do this is because uh, the Bible has a lot to say about Kissing, and specifically in our exposition of Romans, as we come to Romans 16, verse 16. Ironically, the famous saying, sweet 16 had never been kissed, Romans 16, verse 16, is about kissing. Perhaps that'll help you remember the reference. And this verse urges us in church to do a lot of kissing. Now, what kind of kissing are we talking about here? And, and I hope that we all realize that there are different kinds of kissing. Uh, I'd urge you to realize that, lest you confuse your girlfriend with your grandma. That could prove to be a very awkward family moment there at Christmas if you got confused between your girlfriend and grandma because there are different kinds of kissing and kissing comes with different purposes. However, we instinctively know that, uh, there, that this is true. And so this message today is a message on the subject of kissing. Uh, and I can hear some of you probably saying to yourself, if they start kissing at Bethel, we're so out of here. Reserve judgment, please, until I'm done. And uh, so this introduction is just to, intended to kind of get you curious about this, and hopefully you are curious about the role of affection in authentic Christianity. The role of affection, even physical affection, in authentic Christianity. And again, our text today, Romans 16, verse 16, it's a very short verse, Perhaps even hearing it today, you'll almost memorize it. It's not hard to remember. Here's what it says. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. That is our text today. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now as we look at the verse, we see that the repeated word is greet. Okay, we are to greet with a holy kiss. And then uh, he says, all the churches greet you. All the churches outside of Rome greet the Roman church. 
So this greeting is, a, is one from a distance. It is based on a unity that we all have in Jesus Christ. To be a Christian is not only to be in union with Jesus, but by virtue of belonging to Jesus, we all spiritually and organically are in unity with one another. We have a, a, an eternal unity. This is, uh, as C.S. Lewis uh, pointed out, that and one of, the, one of the blessings of the gospel is that in Christ, all Christian friendships are forever. Keep that in mind when you say goodbye to a good friend, that in Christ, this is a relationship that will go on forever. Notice it's all the churches of Christ, and what we see in that is that by, by belonging to Christ, these are the churches of Christ, by belonging to Christ, we all belong to one another. We, that is true Ecclesiastically, as the churches, uh, we are in, in a relationship with other local churches. It is true universally, because in one sense, there is only one church. There is the church of Jesus Christ, the, the redeemed by the blood of Jesus, the, the church that one day will gather around the throne and sing praises uh, to the Lamb, every tribe, tongue, language, and people there in that moment. If you're a Christian, you're going to be there, and you're going to be there with everybody else that has trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. There is only one church. But notice that he says here, the churches greet you. And that is a reference to all of the local expressions of the universal church of Christ, of which Bethel Church is one. Perhaps think about this like a hologram. I understand I'm not an expert on holograms, but as I understand with a hologram, that uh, you can cut a little section off of a hologram and within that little section, you can actually see the entirety of the hologram. Like that, every true local church is a small part of the whole global church. Part of the church is here, and in a sense, all the church is here as well. And we see Paul expressing that by saying here, all the local expressions of Christ's church greet you Roman Christians, part of the Roman Church of Jesus. And so the context here of this verse, it's very much relational, okay? We spent a lot of time in the sort of the vertical doctrines of the gospel, chapters one through 11, chapters 12 through 16, kind of bringing it down to the horizontal, and here, very relational. I mean, we're talking about kissing each other, for goodness sake, so this is very much about, uh, you know, the, the people, you and me, and how we relate to one another, when do we do our greetings? Well, we typically greet at the beginning of a relationship moment. And for us, typically we will say, hello, how's it going? Good to see you, greetings. You know, these sorts of ways that we greet one another. Maybe you did that in the commons uh, as you entered into church today. What do we call it, what do we call the greeting at the end of a relationship time? We call that the goodbye. Right? Goodbye. And he could have said, say goodbye to one another with a holy kiss. And of course, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and sometimes within a family, you will hug and kissy kissy at the beginning, and then you will hug and kissy kissy at the end, and that's all, that's all good. We sometimes linger in our goodbyes. Maybe you've had a goodbye with somebody, and they wanted to linger longer than you wanted to linger in the goodbye. You know that feeling, right? Where you're like, oh, okay, okay. 
<laughs> and there's Aunt Lulu just hugging on tight. Thanks, Aunt Lulu. We're good. That's enough. He says they'll greet one another. Okay, greet one another. To greet somebody is to acknowledge them. It is to show a kind of respect for them. When we walk past somebody we know and they, they don't greet us, we can, we can be put off by that, right? Like, hey, I thought we were friends. At the same time, if we, if we give a relational greeting uh, to somebody and we don't know them, it also feels awkward. You no doubt have had that moment at the mall or somewhere where you're like, hey, there's John, and you go up, hey, John, and all of a sudden you realize it's not John. You know that feeling where now I am actually expressing relationally something to somebody that isn't actually true, that really feels awkward. What do we say? Oh, I'm sorry, I, I thought you were somebody else. And you quickly, you know, go away. We even have that when we dial the wrong number accidentally. We feel shame, like I don't even know you. And so expressing emotional acceptance uh, to somebody that we don't know is awkward because in that greeting we are saying something that isn't true. At the same time, the greeting then is reserved for a dear friend or a family member. Uh, and it is, it, is, uh, it is inappropriate for someone that we don't know or hold in affection. Okay, so when we, when we see somebody that we do know, there is a relationship there and there is a desire for us to engage with them. We call that the greeting. To be distant from somebody that you hold in affection is also weird. I mean, this is the power of passive-aggressive manipulation, right? When you have a family member who says, I am withholding affection and relationship from you until I get from you what I want. The power of that is the very point that we're making here, right? That there is a sense of when we're in relationship that I am actually entitled to the affection from you. And the absence of it feels painful. If you've been around a, a passive aggressive person, it's a painful experience because they are constantly withholding affection that should be expressed because of the relationship. So while Paul doesn't say it here, this is what he is commanding the Roman Christians to greet each other and notice to also kiss each other, okay? Withholding affection from a brother or sister in Christ is denying a, a truth that the Bible makes clear about that relationship. Namely, that we are in relationship in Christ with one another. So just like the churches belong to each other in Christ, so also individual Christians belong to each other. And I hope that you realize that. This is something that in our kind of individualistic Western society, we, we very easily sort of flow in groups where we don't feel a kind of responsibility to one another. I've often compared this, you know, the, the difference between a member of a church and being a member at Costco, right? When you go to Costco, how, how do you, you know, you're there with all the other members, you know, are you, are you high-fiving as you go down the aisle with them? Are you, is anybody kissing somebody at Costco? Probably not, because there is this, sense that I'm here, but I, I don't have a relationship with you except this mutual membership at this organization. And too often, uh, modern American Christians go to church like they go to Costco. They, they shuffle in, they get what they want, 
hopefully at a discount. And then off they go into their individualistic lives. And I want you to see, even in the verse about kissing one another, that this is not New Testament Christianity. This is not why Jesus died to unite the body of Christ. We are in relationship with one another, such a relationship that the Apostle Paul calls us to kiss one another. Now, that requires both of us kind of realizing, you know, this is a real thing, right? We're not, we're not fakey, fakey. You know, some people are like, mwah, mwah, mwah. We're like, okay, that's sort of fakey. But when somebody embraces you and kisses you, unless they're infatuated with you, they're probably trying to say, I care for you, right? There is something here that is drawing me out of my comfort zone that is so important that if I don't express it, I am denying a spiritual truth central to the gospel. Which brings us to the subject of kissing. Let's talk about kissing and uh, a quick survey of kissing in the Bible. You may not realize that we actually find kissing all over in the Bible. Here are some kissing highlights in the Bible. We have uh, Joseph and his brothers when they are restored to one another. There they are, they're kissing one another. We have reconciliation moments like Jacob and Esau and the parable of the prodigal where kissing is a sign of reconciliation. We have kissing at the goodbye. The uh, Paul and the Ephesian elders kissed each other as they said goodbye. We have the famous prostitute who kissed Jesus' feet as a sign of deep affection. And then, of course, there is sexual kissing that's talked about in the Bible. We have uh, the wayward wife in Proverbs who kisses a man, not her husband. And we have, of course, famously in the Song of Solomon, the kiss of love. And what we find in each one of these examples is that kissing is symbolic of something. It is, it's indicating a level of intimacy between those that are kissing each other. This can be a kiss between friends. This can be a kiss amongst family members. This can be a kiss amongst lovers. In fact, Song of Solomon describes in detail a kind of kissing we most closely associate with the country of France. So kissing in the Bible is intended to be an expression of closeness, of, of acceptance, and indeed of love. This is why the most famous kiss in all of history was also a treacherous kiss. Judas's kiss. Here's what uh, Luke tells us about the most famous kiss in all of history. While he was still speaking, Jesus that is, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And what was Jesus highlighting here? He is, he's highlighting that this act of treachery is being done with the one thing that's supposed to indicate love and acceptance, a kiss. And I would have to say it's sad that uh, the most famous kiss was a kiss 
of betrayal. And if you'll indulge me just for a moment, I, uh, I sometimes dabble with, uh, with writing poetry. And some years ago, I drafted a poem about Judas's kiss, and I refreshed it. I'd like to share it with you. It highlights the very point that we're making. I made your lips for greater purpose than this. Oh, my child, think before you give me this kiss. I remember those lips that would quite nearly break and the smile they spread as my bread you would take. I remember how they whistled as the sea fell still and your head bowed down at my powerful will. I've seen those lips laugh as we walked on our way. Rabbi, you're funny, they jokingly say. Those lips preach good news throughout Galilee that I was Messiah who'd set all men free. I've seen those lips tense with Mary's cracked vase. Her love for me was to you such a waste. But how I was hurt when I heard your lips say, I will betray him to you if you pay me that day. Tonight with a basin, I bathed your feet too. I knew that your treason meant a crucified doom. Did I see your lips quiver as I washed your feet new? Did your heart tremble knowing what you'd soon do? O oh, Judas, my friend, but now my betrayer, my disciple, my companion, but now my full hater. Not with sword or letter do you come to do this. How can you betray the Son of Man? With a kiss. Helps put in perspective what's coming up in two weeks, the Passion Week of Christ. Jesus betrayed with a kiss. Now, as we center in a little bit more on kissing, specifically in the New Testament, we have this kiss of greeting. And this is repeated often in the New Testament. Here are, here are the verses that say this. 1 Peter 5.14, greet one another with a kiss of love. 1 Thessalonians 5.26, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. 2 Corinthians 13, greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Corinthians 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. And then the verse that we have before us today, greet one another with a holy kiss, Romans 16, 16. Now you're gonna be glad to hear what I'm about to say. And that is that this kiss was cultural. It was a cultural kiss. It was very common in the Greco-Roman culture of the time. And that may seem weird to you. And it probably seems weird to you because you've maybe never traveled to another part of the world where to this day, this is how people do it. I remember I've been in Egypt one time and our tour guide explained very carefully that in Egypt, you have upper Egypt and you have lower Egypt. And that the kissing customs are different in the two areas of Egypt. And I can't remember which one is which, but like in in lower Egypt, you would, you, when you see somebody, you kiss them on one cheek, and then you kiss them on the other cheek, and that's the greeting. But in Upper Egypt, you kiss them on the one cheek, then you kiss them on the other cheek, and then you return to the first cheek. And apparently, it's really offensive if you give a Upper Egypt kiss in Lower Egypt. So you have to remember where you're at and to make sure that you do your kissing the right way. And we see in this that To this day in the Middle East, kissing and greeting with a kiss is a very important cultural expression, and that culture sets the rules. And to understand Romans 16, 16, we have to understand the culture of the day. For example, 
it was the Jewish custom when somebody would come to your home, somebody that you were acknowledging, that you would put your hand on their shoulder and you would give them what they called the kiss of peace. Okay? Failing to do that was offensive. And Jesus notes this when he is at the home of Simon the Pharisee in Luke 7. He says, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. So a kiss on the cheek was a socially acceptable, in fact, some ways expected, uh, expression of greeting to one another, and to this day is very common in many, many societies of the world. But there was a unique twist in Romans 16, 16, and this is what I want us to realize here today. Notice that he doesn't say, give one another a kiss, or greet one another with a kiss. What does he say? Greet one another with a holy kiss. A holy kiss. The Christian kiss has to be a holy kiss. Now, I think we understand that kisses between a husband and wife, Romans 13, 4, those are very holy. We encourage a lot of that in the marriages, in our church. Makes, uh, that passage makes it clear. But that is not the kind of kiss that Paul is talking about here. Let me make that very clear, lest somebody do something very inappropriate after the service today. Uh, these are commands to the members of the church in how they relate to one another. There is nothing sensual about this kiss. In fact, my understanding is it would only be expressed within the same gender. So what would transform the social custom of greeting with a kiss and make it actually a holy kiss? And here's the difference. A holy kiss symbolizes the mutual love for Christ and for one another. That's the aim here. One commentator I read pointed out that there's actually three parties involved in a holy kiss. There are the two uh, followers of Jesus and there is God. And it is the mutual love for God which generates a love for one another which expresses itself in physical and holy Affection. This is why Peter, his verse on this, he calls it the kiss of love. It's really, it's a kiss of mutual loves. Because we love Jesus so much and we're so thrilled with the gospel and we understand that he has taken us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, that that brings into our hearts a, an affection for other people who have similarly trusted in this same Jesus and have brought, been brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It creates a kind, a kind of bond with one another. I mean, think about, you've got March Madness going on right now, and you know, I know there's not a lot of fans of the games, but you can go to a game, you don't even know the people around you. And if you're all cheering for the same team and they you know, win the game or whatever, last minute shot, everybody's high-fiving one another because they are mutually excited about and sharing a passion for the victory of the particular sports team. And in the church, it's kind of like that, right? We are, we are thrilled to find ourselves under the grace of God. And in a sense, the gathering of God's people is a kind of high-fiving and, and enjoying a mutual love for God which creates an affection for one another. I think the Western church could do better at this. I think our church could do better at this. It's not that we're like, okay, I'm gonna kiss you. No, 
That's, the, that's more of a mwah, mwah, mwah. It's fakey. It's a kiss of mutual love. And in this way, the gospel of Jesus does what it does with so many things. It amplifies a good in culture and infuses it with meaning. He turns the cultural kiss into a Christian kiss. A Christian kiss looks like a cultural kiss, but it is being done for vastly different reasons. A Christian kiss, it's a gospel kiss. It's a theological kiss. Do you kiss theologically? I love how Christianity does this with so many things in society so that you can be a part of a family, but that family becomes a Christian family as Christ is enthroned in that family and becomes Lord of the home. Work becomes an act of worship as the gospel allows me to do my labor for God's glory. So many examples of this. We're we're new creations in Christ, and what that means is, is that everything that we do now when tied to the glory of God becomes Christian-y, it becomes holy, so that the cultural kiss becomes a holy kiss as I do it as an expression of my love for God and for his glory. And that's gotta be the motive behind it, and perhaps that's the issue, is that our motives aren't quite where they should be, and so then our kissing isn't quite what it should be. Let's work on that. These Roman Christians probably greeted everybody with a kiss, but it was only in the church that they greeted with a holy kiss, a Christian kiss. Which leads to the question then, who should I kiss? Who should I kiss? The Christian kiss is reserved for Christian relationships. I can kiss anybody, not that I'd recommend it, but I can kiss anyone, but only with a Christian does that kiss mean we are, we are brothers in Christ or we are, we are sisters in Christ? This, this takes us back to Romans 15, verse 7, which I think is one of the key verses in all of Romans. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And when you apply uh, 1616 to that, it's basically meaning this. Kiss anyone that Christ has kissed. Who should I kiss? Anyone that Christ has kissed. And if I'm not willing to kiss somebody that Christ has kissed, is the problem Christ or is the problem me? Am I I being sectarian? Am I I being passive aggressive in my own sort of Christian expression of, of, of love for others? I don't need to be more holy than Jesus. If Christ has kissed somebody, then my heart needs to do the same. And so we could add this verse really to the, the famous other one another's of the New Testament love one another, you know, serve one another, forgive one another. We add to that, kiss one another. If you're God's child, you're my brother. Let me kiss you. You're getting awkward right now, aren't you? Which really, let's talk finally about holy, holy kissing and Christian community. Like, what does that mean? For us, if I was preaching in Egypt, I would maybe you know be saying this differently. But I'm here in the Midwest, uh, America, 2021. What does that mean in our culture and in our context? Again, I know many of you are like, if they start kissing here, I'm out of here. Um, hold that thought. In the first century, kissing was the most visible expression culturally of an internal spiritual affection for somebody. 
That's the purpose of it. And so cross-culturally then, whatever in that culture is the clearest expression of affection and acceptance and love, that is what is to be done within the church, robustly, fervently, actively. And so uh, what is that for us here in America? Well, I don't know. We've got lots of different ways of doing this, but you know, we, we, uh, we shake hands, right? Typically, that's a common way to greet one another. We will shake hands. This is, you know, pre-COVID. It's a little awkward now, of course. We're not sure what we're doing with people, but uh, are you a handshaker? Are you an elbow, knuckles, like, you know, wink? What are we doing here? I don't know. I think God understands sort of the special circumstances that we're in right now. Uh, but, uh, you know, culturally, we shake hands. You know, perhaps a side hug or the, the handshake into the bro hug. I don't know. That's many people's expression of affection. Whatever it is, sincerely do that out of a true affection for Christ and affection for that fellow believer. And again, this is not to be sort of fakey-fakey. This was a problem, actually, that happened in the early church. So here we have this verse. What happened in the early church? Well, the kiss of love or the kiss of peace became a part of the liturgy. So they would in the services have a moment where they would stop and they would give the kiss of peace to one another. How would that go here on a, on a Sunday? Let's pause now and give kisses of peace to one another. That's how they did it though. It became a part of the liturgy and like anything that you do all the time over and over, it became a problem. Not only did they do it then, they did it at baptisms, they did it at ordinations, they did it in, at marriages. Imagine that. We're typically, you know, the pastor's like, and now you may kiss everyone. <laughs> I think marriage attendance would plummet if we started doing that. It became so abused that Clement of Alexander, writing in the second century, says this. Some do nothing but fill the churches with the noise of kissing early church father. So Paul's not here looking for that sort of fakey, fakey thing. He just wanted brothers and sisters in Christ to show visible signs of affection for one another and to not be distant from one another. Kiss each other is God telling us to love each other and to show it. Don't have a hidden love for one another. Show it physically with one another in culturally appropriate ways. So Phillips translates this verse, give hearty handshakes all around. We could translate it, give bro hugs all around. And just to be clear, this is to be same sex friendship and affection. When this is an opposite sex brother or sister, err on the safe side. I would encourage you to do that. There's nothing worse in any church than the, that full on frontal hugger that's running around the place. Please, please, no, no. Now, spiritual kissing, this can go beyond just, you know, bro hug. This can be acts of kindness for one another, notes of encouragement for one another. I mean, the, 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 the concept is broad in Christian community that 
that we're to show that we love each other. And there's so many ways that we can do that. This is only highlighting one of them. But be in community with one another where that love is visible and is felt in culturally appropriate ways. Can I ask you, are you a good kisser in this church? Do brothers and sisters in our congregation, when they're around you, do they sense care? Now, some people are more touchy-feely than other people, and some people's personalities are not quite as like ooey-gooey in that way. And I think we, you know, we got room for growth for all the personality types that we have, but certainly we should lean more towards showing love for one another and being in context of love for one another. Some of, for some of us, the issue is we don't even know anybody. You come here, you don't even know anybody, and so we beg you to get in a small group, join a ministry, do this, that, or the other. You're like, eh, I don't need it. And you go, like, it's been years since you've kissed anybody in church. Or anybody has kissed you. Because they don't know you. And you don't know them. And over the years, I've observed, you know, people come to our church from all kinds of backgrounds. Sometimes they've been burned by relationships in the past. And so they come into our church uh, and they're, you know, they're not really looking to engage with people because the last time I did that, it hurt a lot. And I want to encourage you that perhaps our church can be a fresh start for you. And I would like to think that your experience here would be a positive one. And in the end, we're not here to, to be served, but to serve, right? And to give ourselves for the good, the good and joy of others, which is what Christian love is. And really, this is just a message on love. Love in Christian community what should that look like? What should it feel like as we are around one another? You know, the church is God's intended alternate society, this sort of cross uh, countercultural uh, lighthouse within a broken world. Think about where people go to find affection uh, in our society a bar, a nightclub some kind of online thing, you know, where nobody touches you online. You can be a pretend person, and that other person is probably being a pretend person as well. This is the world that we live in. We live in a lonely world. And that kind of visceral, the power of physical touch and physical closeness is something that the church should do really well. And it ought to be one of the kind of on-ramps for people who are lonely and broken and burned to find a place within a church where they feel loved. And that love isn't fakey. It's actually visceral, emotional, physical. Remember what Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples by your love one for another. I'd like to think that before and after services, for example, small group gatherings, if somebody was an agnostic and you know, didn't w wondered if there was anything to this whole Christianity thing, that if they kind of hung out around here and they saw the way we relate to one another and kind of this horizontal Christianity thing, that they would be intrigued and think, well, maybe there is something to this. Look at the way that they love one another. I think that's, by this will all men know that you are my disciples by your love one for another. It's not just that we congregate, but it is that we relate to one another. A powerful apologetic for the reality of a risen Savior is kissing each other.
Finally, could God use a message on kissing to draw you today to faith in Jesus Christ? I think maybe he could because I know the power of loneliness. Many of you know, I, I mean, I was, I was a single man until I was 44 years old. I, the, the, the church was my family. Many of you were and have been my family over these 20 plus years. I'm delighted to have my own personal family now that I get to enjoy, but the power of Christian community, I've experienced it in my own life. I say thank you. Thank you, Bethel Church, for being my family. And how many people, similarly, longing for a relationship, wishing somebody would draw near, maybe afraid to do that, maybe this message could make you think, you know, this is really what I've been looking for. A place to belong, people with whom I can belong, and a purpose behind all of it that is eternal. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is not a fakey, fakey thing. We are in union with Jesus forever. And that creates a powerful, horizontal connection with one another. As Lewis said, that will last forever and ever. Amen. So I would encourage you today to trust in Jesus. Join the unity that we have with him. Put your faith and trust in him as your savior. Belong to him, and by belonging to him, you belong to us. And we welcome you as a brother or sister with affection and Christian love. So may God's love be on full display here at Bethel Church in the way that we love one another. And may Bethelonians greet one another with a holy kiss. Amen.